loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking Russian mad scientists, we're talking crises of faith, and we're talking about the restoration of heterosexual romance. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking Amanda Peet falling to her death down an elevator shaft. Oh my goodness. It's <laughs> it's disappointing every single time I watch this movie because this movie needs more Amanda Peet. Not well, less. wait, how many times have you seen this movie? Uh, this is second or third time. Okay, because you made it sound like you've seen it a bunch of times. I've also seen it only twice. I um, watch it every year religiously on the anniversary of the date that she falls down that shaft. It's really upsetting, and I, I mean, she has nothing to do in this movie, but I really, really like Amanda P, and I feel like people always underestimate her, because yes. she does she did a lot of, like, shitty romantic comedies or, like, weird, like, Saving Silverman and Whipped-type movies in the early 2000s. Yeah, she's this week's Kirsten Dunst. Yes, exactly. But I think she's on a, like, whatever. She, she's doing fine now, but yeah, people just don't like her that much, and I don't get it. It's okay. She's married to one of the guys who does Game of Thrones, so she's, like, rolling in the money. Uh, I found that out today, <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit crazy, but uh, all of that does not matter, because, Trace, this is our 50th fucking episode. It is our 50th fucking episode, and we are talking The X-Files, I Want to Believe all Everybody. Right, yeah. <laughs> Wait, X-Files, I Want to Believe, not X-Files, I Want to Believe Everybody. Sorry, that was a lost in X-Files, I Want to Believe Everybody. Um, we can talk about the music music choices that are featured in the closing credits of this movie with a club remix of the X-Files theme. <laughs> I mean, the 90s. Oh, wait, no, this movie's not from the 90s. Yeah, exactly. But before we even get to the discussion of the episode, everybody, we do have a very special guest. I teased him last week, but I didn't tell you who he was. Uh, you may know him from some of his writing on Dread Central and or Bloody Disgusting. Uh, he's helped me cover some various film festivals here in Austin. Uh, please welcome my husband, Andrew, better known to everyone as Ari Drew. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Oh, I mean, we, it was really hard to squeeze you in, but <laughs> we made Ooh, it happen. Wow. <laughs> we're, we're already going into the, uh, the sexy marital places, eh? Here we go. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the only reason that we have invited you on here is because the fans want to know all of the dirt. They will get some dirt, I guess, just by virtue of me being here in the same next to trace and having heard this enough to know what it's about so i know how you guys talk to each other uh no i for a record uh one time andrew was like i don't really listen to that much because i heard you one on one episode and it was really crass and i just didn't want to hear that and i was like okay you're making me sound like a prude and i'm not i'm not at all a prude, no, 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 no. Is... he's not a prude so yeah welcome on the show ari uh we are happy to have you i you know i'm particularly happy to have you and i'm actually so okay we mentioned this last week too, but we, this 50th episode, now we were always going to have you on the 50th episode, but we, actually no, we weren't. We planned, we didn't plan this episode. <laughs> no, we didn't plan anything this year. <laughs> in, in hindsight, we should have picked a more momentous film, I guess, for the 50th episode, but no, we're watching this movie that is- Which is a movie. It's yeah. a movie, but it's considered, I mean, it's you know, considered the lesser of the X-Files movies and also just not a good movie in general. Sadly, yeah. I will say, I think this movie's fine. I don't hate it like so many other people do, but that might be because I have seen maybe two episodes of this show. 
which well, is okay, why so I, we have <laughs> your better half on. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. That's so what I was getting to that. Yeah, so actually, the I had completely forgotten that you said that I was going to be on the 50th episode, so... Now I feel um, very anxious and horrified to be doing this. So. No, 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 no. Just feel horrified to be here regardless of which episode <laughs> you were going to be on. This is true. <laughs> so, yeah, but Ari, you have watched the whole series. I think you watched it, what, over the past, like, four years you went through the whole series? It was No, it was probably, like, I think probably four or five years ago. I It, it took me, like, a year and a half, and I watched the whole series up to that point. So I actually still, I think I told you this, Joe, but I still haven't watched uh, season 11 because I don't oh. want it. I don't want to end. I know, I know a little bit about what happens, but I don't, I don't want it to end because I've really enjoyed it. And I actually really liked season 10, which I know some people were not into that. So again, yeah, I, I have some views on this movie that are a little bit different, I guess now, because the first time I watched it, it was coming right off of the show. And so I really fucking hated it. <laughs> I thought that it was the least X-Filesy movie they could have made. Well, and for a lot of people, this seemed like it was going to be the end of the franchise, right? Mm, like, we were yeah. never going to see Mulder and Scully again, and this is how Chris Carter decided to wrap things up. Well, and... no, here, here's the thing. I don't know much about this fucker Chris Carter, but I will tell you, in the research that I did, so he he did this fully expecting to get a third movie out, because mm -hmm. he, he did this as a standalone episode, which to my knowledge, and again, y'all can correct me if you have anything to that, because Joe, you've seen the whole show too, right? I stopped I think the year after Mulder left, so I think I've seen up to season 8, and then I watched the finale. So there's 9 seasons, yeah. and then this movie, and then I think there's actually two short two, seasons yeah. that have aired on Fox. It's like six and six episodes and ten. Yes. And then the the first movie, though, takes place between seasons five and six. That sounds about right. That sounds right, yeah. All I know was that I read about, about I read a lot about how the show was filming in Vancouver for the first, like, four or five seasons, and then mm -hmm. they moved to L.A. to film. Because uh, of David Duchovny. Right. But then, like, the show, the aesthetic of the show, like, totally changed and lost a lot of the, the doom and gloom, I guess. And it was all sunny and shit because it was L.A. Yeah, people felt that a lot. I Again, it, like, it's something that I went into it having heard all these things. And so I was really anticipating when I might drop out or when I might, like, start or stop enjoying it as much. And I never really, like, got to a point where I was like, oh, I really hate this. I hate what they've done to this. Like, it's, there are points when I'm like, okay, like, let's wrap this shit up. But I'm someone who... I don't know. I, ga I gave it a fair chance, and I actually really do even enjoy the l later seasons um, mm -hmm. where David Duchovny is gone, just because I really like Robert Patrick and Annabeth Gish. Well, yeah. they are nowhere to be seen in this movie. They are not. No. No. Well, they, <laughs> they got rid of them real fast. <laughs> yeah, they were... I think in hindsight, people feel like they kind of inherited a bad deal, but they're actually pretty good. It's just, if you've got the chance to come back and make a movie, you're not you're not going to populate it with those people. Although in hindsight, again, it would have made sense to have just had those two instead of Amanda Peet and Exhibit in this movie. That's which is like the most true. random fucking casting ever. Well, okay, we'll get into that when we get into our plot because I will say that because okay, the whole reason that Carter did the movie like this is because he wanted to bring in new viewers that hadn't seen the show before. He wanted to make it accessible, so that's why he didn't do a mythology show. And again, to my knowledge, the show does both, like, mythology-heavy episodes about the conspiracy, and I have no idea what that's about. Mm -hmm. And they also do, like, standard, like, standalone episodes about various themes or Monsters of the Week and whatnot, right? 
Yeah, it's kind of like Buffy in that way, but it never wrapped up at the end of a single season. It's like an ongoing, always evolving mythology. And then a lot of people, I think, prefer the standalone episodes because they're just easier. Like the mythology gets real murky. It's extremely, extremely convoluted. Like the fact that you don't really know what, what they are, what it's all about, Trace, is like not that different from someone who's watched the show because <laughs> it's at yeah. a point it gets like extremely convoluted and confusing because you only get mythology episodes like every few episodes or, or even sometimes it's even like the sweeps episodes are the only mythology episodes yeah yeah i remember seeing the first movie in theaters i mean that came out in 98 so i would have been nine years old but like i remember i, I walked out of there not even knowing what the x files were <laughs> oh yeah you're just like is it bees and people with black eyes maybe I was so confused. And honestly, to this day, I don't know what the X-Files are. And you don't need to tell me. It's totally fine. <laughs> I mean, maybe we'll tell you in the next hour. Maybe. So the the fan backlash is... So yeah, I mean, Carter was super cocky. And he was like, okay, we're going to make this standalone. Bring in new, new viewers. I almost said new listeners. <laughs> and and um, then we're going to make a third movie that's going to go back to the mythology. And I was like, all right. And maybe had this been made right after the show went off the air, that would have made sense. But since we mm -hmm. have... Well, all right, let, let, let's go with that. So this film was released on July 25th, 2008, a week after The Dark Knight and Mamma Mia, I might add. Um, that's not important for y'all, but it's important <laughs> for me. It actually does. The, the Dark Knight part, the Dark Knight part actually is semi-important because of um, at least like David Duchovny and uh, Gillian Anderson, how they have kind of credited the, this movie's underperformance to the fact that it came out so soon after The Dark Knight. Which makes no sense. No, this movie also opened at number four in the box office, below The Dark Knight, Step Brothers in its first weekend, and Mamma Mia in its second weekend. Uh, Dark Knight also in its second weekend. But we'll get there in a minute. So this show went off the air, I think, in May 2002. So November of 01, they're like, cool, we're going to make a second movie. Um, he, Chris Carter was going to collaborate with the writer of this film, uh, Frank Spotnitz, who I think had worked on the show yeah. a lot before. Yeah. 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 Um, and he also co-wrote the first film. Uh, they were going to begin the film after the completion of season nine with a projected release date in December of 2003. Needless to say, that did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, exactly. April of 02. So this is like right before the series goes off the air. Um, Carter's like, yeah, I still want to do a sequel. Um, we're going to write the script over the summer, um, after the show ends and begin production uh, in the spring and summer of 2003 for a 2004 release. Again, didn't happen. Also that summer, though, the director of the first film, Rob Bowman, says, oh, I I'm, I'm totally want to direct the sequel. Again, didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Are we sensing a trend? <laughs> it's, I, I don't really know what was going on here. And so, like, two years pass, April of 2004, David Duchovny is like, yeah, I'm waiting for the production to begin. Um, Chris Carter already signed off on the premise. Okay. In November of 04, Carter's like, uh, yeah, the project's in the negotiation stage, but because it's a sequel, there are peculiar and specific kinds of negotiations that are holding us up. A.K.A. money. That has to be the case, right? I mean, basically, uh, Spotnitz ended up blaming the, the delay on the legal issues between Chris Carter and 20th Century Fox. So it wasn't until, like, late 07 when they like, officially announced that the film was going to happen, and then they keep the plot details super secret, super under wraps. Yeah, no one had any idea what this film was about. Nobody knew if anybody was coming back apart from the two leads. So I don't remember the marketing for this movie, like what it was handled. I didn't, remember the, I didn't watch the trailer. I should have watched the trailer before him. But nevertheless, you think because of that, don't you think that the turnout for the opening weekend, which, by the way, this movie made $10 million opening weekend in 2008, 
compared to the first film, which made $30 million in 1998 on its opening weekend. Bear in mind that that first movie was, like, in between seasons of the show. And right, because yeah. it tied into the mythology, it was like, you can't keep watching the you show if you haven't it. seen this movie. Yeah. Was the first movie supposed to be a series finale, or was it always just going to be, oh, we're just going to do it in between seasons? It's just in between. Yeah, it doesn't even end in a very, like, finale-y way, um, really. It kind of leaves more questions than answers. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, considering the subject matter of this movie, and we'll get into it in the plot summary, but how potentially problematic it is. Like, even the basic premise is just like, I'm surprised that this movie got a wide release, given what is involved in the plot of this movie. I think it's based entirely just on the name recognition. Like, if this mm-hmm. had been some random movie about FBI agents looking for a missing agent. Which it could like, be. Which it could be. This is this could be an updated version of Silence of the Lambs, to be honest. Mm-hmm. That's what I kept... No, I kept saying that exactly last night. I was like, this is like Silence of the Lambs. Maybe a little bit of Untraceable, too. Or you said seven last night. Yeah, I said seven just because that's what I remember reading on one of the um, reviews, just about like how people saw it. Because initially, when I... Again, when I saw it, I remember being so... I didn't know what the plot was. Like, I thought it was going to be just, like, something alien-related, but maybe just not to the mythology. Mm-hmm. And so I was pretty shocked that it was about what it was about, and it was much more like a serial killery hunt yeah. type of movie. It's like the most humdrum of boring, kind of bland, forgettable narratives, right? Like, people really thought this was going to be a sensationalistic return. So I disagree that the narrative is boring. I... I but again coming in some way well, in the in the context of the show like yeah. the X Files even in the standalone episodes like we're talking bugs that are released from ice and they like wrap people up in cocoons and feed on them we've got like larvae that ingest uh, you know we've got men who live in sewers like they didn't do routine serial killer narratives on the show no and like they'd done they yeah they'd done a couple of serial killers before there was one that i think was more normal and it was the one who um it got tied up in the storyline which is the very long storyline that i as i'm i've read continues in season 11 with Mulder's um sister which is oh basically the, the impetus for the whole show and at a point when you're when you're watching the show you're just real fucking tired of hearing about Samantha but it's but yep. they um there was a really good serial killer episode um where there was a um a killer who was kidnapping young girls or something and so he um led Mulder to believe that his sister was one of his victims which I thought was a great so that was probably the most like normal serial killer take that they did that I can remember the other ones that they did were like um the tombs episodes which is like um there's like a serial killer who can squeeze through small spaces um there was like a multiple episodes of that so I again like with the serial killer arc like to me it, it wasn't once I got what it was, I was like, oh, they're doing like a standalone, one of their serial colory things. But I expected, I guess, a lot more from it in the execution. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. I think a lot of the buildups really good. Uh, by the way, this is true. Whenever the, the picture of her popped up, I literally turn it to Ari and be like, who was that? Who is no... that? What is that? <laughs> and then, of course, later in the movie, <laughs> Scully's like, your sister's dead. Get over it. Oh, my God, Mulder. I don't even know. To be fair, that's what everyone was saying at that time. So that's yeah, she was totally in the in the right there. <laughs> but I will say, I think that the 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 lead up for this movie, at least the first like act or two, is really good. I, I think the third act is fine. It's it, but it's very anticlimactic. And it, this is a movie, and I know we've talked about ratings so much on this show, and we'll go into it more next month. But <laughs> this is a plot and a movie that I really think would have benefited from an R rating. Like it's a weird fucking plot, 
And I think they needed to lean into that and how fucking weird it was. So you wanted like more batshit crazy. You wanted more blood yeah. and violence. I mean, not necessarily blood and violence, but like, I mean, we're talking about fucking pedo- psychic pedophiles, weird Frankenstein human transplant, head transplant things. Like, the one moment that I was like, oh, that's interesting is like the head winking in the bucket of ice or the head waking up in the bucket of ice. And I was mm-hmm. like, I wish there was more things like that in this movie, but it's so dead set on like being about Scully's religious crisis of faith. Yeah. yeah which, which, which is like such a running, a long running theme in the show that um, it's not that, not to say like, oh, it's been played out to death, but it's it's been done better so many other times in the show, I thought. Yeah. Um, and like to kind of, it felt a little shoehorned in here to connect people with her again. Like, it's kind of like, look, it's Scully doing the Scully thing. And she's having a crisis of faith. And remember, don't don't you love that? You know, it kind of felt like that. I mean, again, I know we're going to get to it in a minute. But like, up until the ending where, like, oh, the stem cells became, like, relevant to the Frankenstein plot. I was literally like, why is this in here? Yes. Like, what? This movie could be 90 minutes long. Because it's just, it's almost as long as... Almost as long as three episodes of the show. Almost. Ugh, it's such a waste of opportunity when you put it that way. <laughs> but that's like, yeah, like seriously. You, you can take out that entire plot and make it work still. And at least make it look kind of a fun, interesting thriller. But then they throw in this boring stuff with Scully at the Catholic hospital. I don't give a shit. And then, of course, <laughs> the way the movie ends. Well, okay, sorry. Um, before we get into the plot, let's... So, I already said the money. You know, it made $10 million opening weekend. It went on to right, make... Right, tw- but do you have production budget? Because when you were talking about how you yes. wished it was a harder rating, I think your budget will give you some clarity as to why it's well, not. Oh, calm your tits, though. Okay, this is a budget of... <laughs> no, this is a budget of $30 million, which even in 2008, which is 11 years ago, is a good amount of money for a movie. Like, again, when Blumhouse is making, like, go- like Halloween for $10 million, like, come on, you can do right. something with this. But, that being said, it is a noticeable decline from the budget of the first movie, which was $66 million in 1998 money. Yeah, that one, that one was, like, big. Like, you couldn't believe that they were spending that much money on I, Right now, I can't believe that. I cannot believe that movie got that much money. Well, and I will say, too, I, I like that movie more, but even that movie like in the scope of the show i i would have been okay if it was if it was like a couple of episodes like it felt like that so there was nothing that it did i'm a huge x-files fan too but there was nothing that <laughs> there was nothing that it did that really kind of like merited an entire movie with that much budget i guess there were a couple of shots that were a little you know kind of a little you know cool for the shows i remember the cold open with the kid falling in the pit and his eyes turns black the X-Files and Buffy were the two shows as a kid that I wasn't allowed to watch. I mean, it was like this, The Simpsons, and Married with Children, and Buffy. Like, those are the shows I couldn't watch as a kid. And so when my parents were like, me as a nine-year-old, let's go see The X-Files because it's PG-13. I'm like, y'all are a bunch of fucking hypocrites because what, like, like what <laughs> is something that's on TV worse than what I'm about to see in this movie? And for a nine-year-old, that movie is kind of scary, but... I, I missed out on the phenomenon that was this show. Like, I didn't mm. experience... I didn't, like, talk to people that really liked it. Buffy, I did experience that with. I got to see, yeah. I, you know, people who liked it. I didn't get that with this show, and I don't know... So that, that's why I never... And I never started it because it was too daunting of a task. I mean, it like, really was. And, it, and yeah. having, again, having recently decided to watch it a few years back, I did it because I wanted to catch up before the season 10 ended. And right. I remember kind of thinking, like, I'm going to fucking do this, like, now that they're doing this 10th season. So <laughs> I know it's going to take a long time, but I'm going to do it. And um, and it was really a huge undertaking. But even as a kid, like, 
I, I, I was a huge Buffy fan. I watched that all as it aired, but this show, I never, I always just thought it was too slow. I always thought it was boring, but the, the opening um, theme used to freak me out a lot. So I, I, a part of me was a little bit like, oh, maybe I would like that. It seems creepy. So one of the few episodes I actually saw as a kid was, it was about a, um, a supposed sea monster that's out in a, in a lake in a town. And I was so excited about it. And then I was, I watched it and that was the only thing I ever saw. So I didn't know anything about the mythology. I just knew about this sea, big blue, the sea monster that they were trying to find in this lake. And then they, I don't know if any of list, some listeners might remember this, but there were some X-Files novelizations that came oh, out. Oh, I'm sure like, there yes. fucking were. <laughs> oh, this show had everything. But they were like, I think they, they were just made for kids. They were really short. So I bought like, I bought them all. And I, the one that I read first was Squeeze, the one with the um, the serial killer who can squeeze through bars and stuff. And his mm. episodes are really creepy. So that yeah. was my only exposure to the show. I never saw the movies or anything when they came out. I never, you know, really kept up with anything. But it was definitely a very daunting task, and even still is if anyone out there decides they want to want to. Oh yeah, this one. because remember that we're talking about the beginning of the golden age of television. So we're talking television seasons with 22 to 24 that's why i never got hey the blu-ray box of this fucking series all 11 seasons minus the movies i found out last night when we were about to watch this is sitting on the fucking blu-ray shelf out in my living room and i'm like i just i it's so time it's so ari yeah i mean (laughs) hey at the time i definitely had some time to kill (laughs) but you're talking about like like you're not gonna breeze through that in you know a couple of weeks like oh no it was like a a year and a half year multi-month project oh yeah for sure and even my best friend who is a working musician um and who like you know who works a lot of evenings and stuff like that and would put the show on when she was you know doing creative stuff it took her a long time to get through it as well we were both kind of on the same um you know the same schedule for trying to finish at the same time so this show this show this movie it went on to make 21 million dollars domestically so did not make its money back domestically compared again to the first film 60 uh, 83.9 million dollars still not that good <laughs> right but um it does have a worldwide gross of 60 68 million dollars um compared again to the first film's 189 million dollar worldwide gross and I think the international, because it made its money back, technically. And I think Chris Carter was banking on the international gross getting in the third film, uh, which might have worked had the film been well-received. Because we're looking at a 31% of Rotten Tomatoes from critics, with an average of 4.79 out of 10, and a 32% from audiences. One of the rare times in our life where the critic and audience scores align. But here's the weird thing. Metacritic of a score of a 47 out of 100, and a user score of 63 out of 100. I mean, you know, not a big difference. 63 is like fine, but it's still considered good. I do wonder if maybe that's just people coming around to it at the end of the day, kind of like you, Ari, where they they went in with their eyes fully open as to what some of the potential pitfalls of this movie were. And they were like, okay, I know it's not going to be big. I know mm-hmm. it's not going to have a dog in him, whatever Annabeth Gish's <laughs> character name is. Monica Reyes. Monica Reyes, who was in season 10 and 11, by the way, she comes back. Yeah. Doggett Dog is... does not, sadly, but yeah. Oh, yeah. What is Robert Patrick doing? He had scheduling conflicts. They were planning on writing him into season 11. So uh, was, and he's yeah. like, no, no one liked me. I'm not going to do it. 
I loved him. He was so great in that. But anyway, we, we won't go there yet. <laughs> I, I was like Patrick very much legitimately in, good. Yeah, I was very things. much in love with him in those later seasons. I thought he was so charming. Well, they do well to distinguish them from Mulder and Scully too. So for sure, yeah. But no, you're right. I think I think because I saw this like two years ago. And again, I was really pissed. I was like, what the hell? Like, this is so sad. But also, I had the knowledge then that they were going to be continuing this and, pro- and doing it justice. Well, so. that, that, that's kind of the thing, though. I think, yeah, if, you, if, if you're if you a fan of the show, you've put together like nine years of effort into this show. And then six years later, this comes out and it's the end of the series. Mm-hmm. I get how that would be very frustrating and enraging for you. Yeah, I went to see this on opening weekend with a friend of mine who is a hardcore X-Files fan, and he was so excited because, I, like, the movie just kept getting delayed. It seemed like it was never going to happen, and then it finally comes out, and he was gutted. Like, he fucking hated this movie so much, he didn't even want to talk about it as we were leaving the theater. I mean, it's Ridley Scott syndrome from Alien Covenant. People kept saying shit, and it's like, why don't you just shut the fuck up until the movie is literally behind the camera? Well, and the problem is, is that Chris Carter is like an egomaniac, so he has really kept control of this entire franchise, its entire duration. He loves to talk it up. He loves to talk a big game about himself, and then... Mm. So what's crazy is, hey, again, I don't know the X-Files, but I know Chris Carter, but I thought it's because he was like a famous director, a famous something. And had done no, other he's things. Literally famous for this. Just this, yeah, this. Th- but this is his thing. Th- to his credit, though, this it, this whole universe exploded in such a huge way that people are still. That oh, you have yeah. like a hardcore fandom. You have a hardcore like even the the spinoffs that didn't. None of them did well. Really, I don't know. I think Millennium was maybe on the longest of the two other spinoffs. It was three. It years was compared to yeah. the Lone Gunman, and the, which didn't even. And the Millennium, yeah, the Millennium. They did like a crossover. I think to close out the the Millennium storyline, they did yeah. it for with the, one of the later seasons of the X Files. But like, but to his credit, like I mean, again, those shows were never as successful. But I think at that point he had tapped into such like a niche market that he was only ever gonna have this very maybe you know if you're comparing it to things like star wars or star trek or something like it's going to be it was a smaller Mm -hmm. pool of fans and so i I don't know maybe he maybe he also though very much overestimated how big that pool would still be you know years later yeah there's a lot of moving pieces that i think contribute to the failure of this film both like financially and also unfortunately creatively but it's important not to discount the cultural worth of the x-files as a property and just like the longevity like this is a very very important show to people like to Mm -hmm. such an extent that when we revealed to our patrons that we were doing this we immediately got an email from someone being like i hope you'll be kind the x-files is very important to me um i did not see that email (laughs) this makes me feel even more nervous to be be here right now well no 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 no, no. all right so like this was a phenomenon like this because i i liken it to because i'm talking about the fan base okay like imagine the buffy fan base because again like the shows they, they get their stuff but Buffy also had a much smaller viewership than this show. Like this show like, yeah. was not just a niche. It was mainstream. Like, people watch this show. And I'm trying to think, like, but with the failure of this movie, like, if Buffy had a movie come out, you know, it was a sequel to season seven or whatever, or I guess maybe even now season eight and nine in the comics, like, whatever. And even if I had been told it was shit, or if it you was... go and see it. I would absolutely go and see it. Oh, be- yeah. Because I love Buffy. And so it's fascinating to me that the fans of this show, 
even because obviously word of mouth was extremely negative because people were pissed. But like, even that, like, you're not morbidly curious to just go watch this movie to be the quote unquote series finale of the show that you put nine years into and that you love so much. Yeah, I don't know if it had just like it was too much downtime and people had moved on or if they were thinking back to the first film and they thought, oh, you know, I don't want to try to get back into this mythology. Like because they didn't Ooh, maybe. really market it properly, they I think there was a lot of confusion as to whether or not you needed to know the whole show because you have to remember people dropped off as soon as David Duchovny like, yeah. skidded out. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking too, is the fact that like this show was, it was a big, it was mainstream, but you have to think it was mainstream up until like halfway through. Because yeah. again, yeah. even towards the end of David Duchovny, there was some yeah, drop pe- off that people, oh, yeah. you know, and it was a slog to get through some of it. See, that does not make me want to watch it. <laughs> it doesn't make me want to start this show. It's really one of those things too, like once you're committed though, it's, I, I mean, I felt I mean, I'm very, sure. I was like, I have to do this. I, and it's, even some of the episodes, like they would just kind of be on and I would be like writing a paper or something, you know, it's like kind of, it became, because honestly too, with some of the Monster of the Week episodes, which there are more of those than mm-hmm. not, you don't have to pay a ton of attention a lot of times it's just kind of fun and and yeah i'll talk about the humor in a little bit because trace one thing you mentioned about like you wanted things to be a little wackier crazier go like just bizarre i mean not funny i don't i didn't need no but funny. but the thing is that the show is known for being really humorous like what? The, show does, really? the show does humor really really well there are some episodes that are purely oh, God. humorous that are some of the well, best yeah. episodes there are some jokes in this movie that i was like we're gonna go with that <laughs> okay. well on that note maybe we should start with the plot summary i mean start we're just gonna I, do it <laughs> i do want to contextualize one other thing that i think will be helpful for you trace and other people who aren't as familiar with the show the relationship between Mulder and scully particularly as the series aged and especially after david duchovny left became very very important because it actually became romantic throughout mm-hmm. the yeah I think the first two thirds of the series, it was like a will they, won't they flirtation kind of thing. And then when they fully committed to it, and then David Duchovny left, it was kind of like, how are we going to handle this? All right, here we go. So the film opens with a pair of crosscut scenes. A woman. Which, wait, I like this. I. Five, five words in, people. Five words. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> But no, because I, I, I saw this movie when it came out. I saw it opening weekend. Again, not having ever seen it after the X-Files, just watching the first movie. And I actually like the opening of this movie. And I love that you don't, like, you think it's the same time. Obviously, because that's the whole point of the intercutting of the, the scenes. But it's, it's again, filmed like a horror movie. And it's just, I thought it was really cool. I thought it was a really cool idea. Yeah, and it, it works well. They do it a couple of times. And it's helpful to keep at least the pacing going a little yeah. bit better. Like, it gives mm-hmm. it some energy. Oh, P.S., though, editor Richard A. Harris, who I was like, I don't know who that is, um, James Cameron buddy, because he has edited Terminator 2, Ooh. True Lies, and Titanic. And he did this and one other movie and has not edited anything since. Because hmm. huh. I think the action is actually fairly well edited for yeah. the most yeah. part. I don't I so, love too. the finale. But we'll get to it. <laughs> he's also only able to work with whatever Chris Carter gave him, and Chris Carter has only ever directed the X Files. Yeah. Hey, okay. do y'all think that was a mistake to let him direct this movie? I don't think so. No, I think. I mean, again, after that long, too, if he if he wasn't doing it, or wasn't involved to that degree, it might not have happened at all. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so either. I mean, again, maybe that. <laughs> maybe it shouldn't have happened, but. Uh. But, yeah, yeah I, no, I don't know. I don't. I think maybe like fans would have 
liked that he directed it. Yeah. I remember people feeling like, oh, the ship is being steered by the person in charge. Uh, Okay. So we've got a woman who is later identified as Special Agent Monica Bannon, who is a woman named Xantha Bradley. She did not have her own Wikipedia page, so she is not quote-unquote famous. Cool. Okay. (laughs) I I literally debated (laughs) whether Well, just for that, I hope she is listening, and I hope she is a horror queer (laughs) patron. (laughs) She withdraws her monthly patron No, Xantha, we need your money. Xantha, come back. (laughs) She's hoping you were, like, doing her movie. Right. (laughs) So she is attacked outside of her home at night, and we simultaneously see a... Oh, wait, sorry. I love the part, though, where she sees his breath. I thought that's really, like, it was a really effectively done scene where, like, she's in the garage and she's like, someone's here, and then she can see the breath coming from the side of the building. Well, I think it cues you, too, that she's not your average woman in distress. Like, she's got her wits about her. When she reaches for that gardening utensil, you're like, oh, a bitch is going to do some damage here. Again, some R-rated damage, but it doesn't happen. I mean, I kind of like what she manages to accomplish. That's fine. But, she scrapes yeah. them up, all right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not often you get you see someone get like a what like a gardening shear or a planter thing to the face. That's not bad. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> fine, I'll allow it. All right. So we simultaneously see a daytime police search moving across a frozen lake as they discover a severed arm, thanks to psychic Father Joseph Patrick Christman, played by Billy Connolly. So cut to Dana Scully, Gillian Anderson, a goddess amongst humans. Although maybe not so much in this movie. Yeah, she's great all the time. (laughs) Yeah. She's working at a religious hospital when she is approached by FBI agent Drummy, who I'm not going to lie, I may have written dummy in my notes several times. I, no, I, I, I did too. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all are assholes. No, I, hey, look, that's not a name. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I love your defense there. It's too close <laughs> to what we wrote. Well, it's so, just like, why of all the names would you go with something that sounds like wait, dummy? Because I think, you know what? There's probably someone that was in on the crew or something. Yeah, that, exactly. Um, that same, because that's actually something that they've done before. It's like Kim Manners. No, they, the, they do producers. it in this movie. They do it they a do, lot. Yeah. No, they, they've always done that. Get with the culture. Uh, clearly, I'm not with the culture. <laughs> but no, so play by Exhibit, who yes. is a rapper. I don't know that he. I don't know that he's active anymore, though. I don't well, think so. Yeah, I don't know, but I. You know, he was in Eight Mile and Triple X Two and Bad Lieutenant, the Nicolas Cage movie, and I was like, oh, he's got like a pretty. I mean, minus Triple X Two, a pretty decent like film overall. And yet he has shown up in absolutely zero of the Fast and the Furious movies. Surprising, right? Because <laughs> isn't that where like all rappers eventually just end up now? Okay, wait, wait, wait. D- but wait, hold on. That's not a knock. Like. That's great. If he, oh, no, if, that's called character progression. Or, sorry, <laughs> uh, like, movie star progression. I know. I, 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 fucking Helen Mirren was in the last movie. I'm sorry, the, the second to last movie, because we got Hobbs and Shaw. Anyone can be in those. But, yeah, Exhibit, go be in Fast and Furious. It's great. Exactly. Okay, so he he is in this movie, tragically given nothing to do. Nothing to do. But in this early scene, he is looking for Fox Mulder, David Duchovny, and David, or sorry, and Mulder is also no longer an FBI agent. So we meet up with both members of the X-Files, no longer 
part of the FBI. And Mulder, in fact, is actually a recluse who lives with Scully in isolation following the events of the television series where he was brought up on, I quote, bogus charges that aim to discredit 10 years of work. I have no idea what this was about. I just bought into it. I mean, I could I could uh, explain what happened, but <laughs> can but you spark notes it? Basically, yeah. Basically, he was accused of killing like a federal agent who actually was a like not a real person. It was a super soldier, which was like the main antagonist of of the last season, season nine, and part of this whole conspiracy, basically with the government and making right. deals with the aliens and all that. So, so yeah, he basically in defended himself, killed this man. Um, who was an agent, but that person was not an actual um, person. And Scully did like an illegal um, autopsy and it like proved like, look, this is not a human being. And but they shut down the exiles. Anyway, but right? yeah, because, um, because it was like, it was not a valid way of, you know, she didn't have clearance to get that. And then, so basically he went off, you know, they basically went into hiding essentially. I mean, that kind of stuff is happening. I think every other season on the X-Files too. So in a way it's kind of like a continuity thing where you're like, yeah, they were just constantly getting shut down. They, yeah, they got shut down like three times. I think (laughs) y'all are selling this show so hard. (laughs) It's a good, it is a good show. I love the show, even in in all of its, you know, convolutedness. Like I really do. I I was, I was into all this stuff, but some years out of having seen it, I don't remember a lot of the, um, the art mythology art because it, it, again it is extremely convoluted well and i think the fact that when you have a television show that goes on for nearly a decade you're bound to repeat a couple of things here and there too sure all right so the pair of former agents are brought in to help find this missing agent bannon and the woman in charge of the search is agent dakota whitney amanda pete who deserves more in this movie she has one Oscar-worthy moment, and that's sarcasm, but we'll get to it. <laughs> I, I I just, I really like her, and I feel like she's wasted. That's it. <laughs> that, that's all I have to say. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I think one of the biggest problems with this film is that it gives some fairly meaty things for David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson to do, and then it basically strands everybody else in a couple of scenes and then just forgets about all of them. Like, Amanda Pete at least dies, so you know where she's gone. <laughs> because every other character, you're just like, oh, them? Yeah, they're just off screen. Well, We're never going to reference them again. Exhibit's just, yeah, like, left away, right? Like, he doesn't even die. He's just, like, done. Yeah, like, they Scully just basically him. calls him and says, hey, you fucker. Like, are you going to help me look for my man? And he's like, oh, mm, yeah. No. Call the police. This isn't an <laughs> FBI matter. Yes. Which I actually, I, I messaged that to Trace. I was like, whew, there is some choice dialogue in this movie. Uh, okay. But uh, at, at the current moment in our plot recap, Agent Whitney is, uh, she brings him up to speed. Basically, this is all to do with uh, the background of Father Joe. So how he's connected to the case and the peculiar fact that he is a convicted pedophile who line of dialogue from the film buggered 37 altar boys i love that i I do too but it's no it's clearly because they couldn't say fuck dana scully would never have said fucked 37 altar boys i don't think she would have said buggered 37 altar boys either this is oh my god she absolutely characteristically vulgar no i do i absolutely think she would have said that i absolutely think so i I won't lie i forgot about this entire movie like, I, I, <laughs> yes, I feel like we've established that a couple times. I had no memory of this movie. 
Maybe even in the last 24 hours, you've forgotten about it. It might be possible. But no, I mean, I saw this in 2008 when it came out, fucking July 25th weekend, like opening weekend. Again, as a non-fan, so you're welcome, Chris Carter, but I forgot about this entire pedophile thing. And when that was revealed, I was just like, huh, that's a choice. It's a choice. <laughs> yep. It's a very important choice. These were at least in the, the treaties that I'm going to argue about why this film... Ugh. So here's the thing, and maybe we'll get into it further when we get to the confrontation between Dana Scully and um, Father Joe. But obviously, pedophilia is wrong. Pedophilia is a terrible, terrible tragedy. But there's something to be studied there that I think people accepting the whole, like, not the whole, I'm sorry, that sounds like um, uh, uh, minimalist, but just like saying they need to be shut out, they need to be sequestered to a fucking apartment complex where pedophiles are kept. It's diminishing the studies that can be done from people who are have pedophilia tendencies or something like that. And yes, it's terrible. Yes, it's awful. Yes, it's wrong. It's a horrible fucking crime. And possibly the biggest taboo we have in America, at least. But the way the movie handles this particular character is questionable. Like, I don't know how I feel about it. Like, because it, because it wants you at like, it's trying to get you to sympathize with him or to be like, you know, appreciate him in some way. I don't want to say asking to sympathize is wrong because I think, well, I think there's efforts that are made to indicate that he is not just simplistically a pedophile, that he also has other characteristics and there's efforts made to say this isn't something where he's flat out just yeah i don't know well no and, and he and I mean when he talks about and i guess i guess we'll get there but when he talks about um i was made that you know i didn't ask for these desires and all of that like <sighs> that that was one of the things that i think again like this in this i guess like for me it just x-files the second movie years after this series ended was not the the vehicle for this conversation to be had. No, not at all. I think I think yeah. I do think there's something to be said for like the nuance of an argument of. I mean, when you talk about anyone who's convicted of, of a heinous crime and the idea of rehabilitation and the idea of um, reparations or rejoining society, like that is a, that is a valid discussion to be had. And I think that this show was biting off a little more than it could chew by trying to have it in this regard because really, like. It just was a lot for this type of movie. Well, you know what? You cut out the fucking stem cell research kid plotline. You added more screen time for this discussion. But here's the thing, Trace. The whole reason that this is in here is because it's a commentary on what's happening with Dana in her personal life. Right. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that's why she gets so angry at him, right? Because everything to do with the way that she's feeling about this sick boy and the feeling that he has been given a bad hand is reflected in the fact that here's a man who has been actively harming 37 children and is still like out here helping the police and he's walking free but even when they and we'll get to it but when they get to their confrontation she loses that confrontation <laughs> i don't know that i would say that what what makes you what makes you think that she loses it i just feel like he tells her off in a way that the films like see mm. see that's the same. i think like i think that it's what he was trying to do was kind of like throw some nuance out there that like this is not necessarily a black and white thing in this case like where you the fact that this person's, you know, done really fucking terrible things he discounts anything good he could ever offer the world, which is mm -hmm. kind of what it's suggesting by having him be save the day, essentially, because he does. Like, everything that he yeah. 
you know, that basically everything he did is what ultimately leads to Mulder being saved at the end and, or, um, yeah, yeah, Mulder being saved and then kind of the resolution. So it's, yeah, it's definitely, I just, I just really, like, I know that X-Files has handled some stuff with respect to religion before and grief. And this was just, I just don't feel it was well. Yeah, I know. A well-suited, you know, kind of space for this discussion because of how it's handled and ultimately handled in a way that's pretty, pretty more problematic than I recall it being handled. Yeah. Joe, not necessarily in the way that you might find it, maybe partially, (laughs) but not fully in the way that we can talk about that in a second. But yeah. Well, it's a stereotypical pedophile Catholic priest. And I guess like coming, what, five years after South Park lampooned it, you know, with the giant spider monster, it's just very much like, we're doing this like i mean and i get it there is a conversation to be had there but the movie doesn't devote enough screen time to it to like make make it a worthwhile addition or component of this film well and i think part of the problem too is that the scant amount of screen time that's devoted to some of the more problematic aspects specifically pertaining to queerness and pedophilia and violence and murder and all these other things because there isn't more depth or analysis in this film because we're so busy focusing on the relationship between Mulder and Scully which is arguably what fans want Mm -hmm. but because we're not diving into these really meaty things that are not being handled as well as they can. Unfortunately, I think some of the messaging comes across as like, oh, pedophilia begets homosexuality, which begets homicide and body yeah. mutilation. Yeah, yeah that's, that is the, that's the biggest issue I have with it is that, is that it kind of is that, um, I mean, we've, I do research. So this is like <laughs> something in the field that's been like, you're fighting against this idea that people have in the general public, like, Oh, people who are gay or queer or are whatever pedophiles. Are, are, are pedophiles, number one. Number two, if they aren't pedophiles, it's because they were sexually abused and that's why mm-hmm. they became that way. Well, maybe let's come back then and we'll we'll continue on. I mean, we can touch I mean, on some of that. It's it going to be a long conversation no matter what, like when we get to it. But yeah, let's I think let's continue. Then we'll we'll jump in there. Okay. So Scully is skeptical of Father Joe, and part of this is because of her faith, uh, but also because she doesn't consider herself an FBI agent. So she's not really interested in partaking in this. And she's always been super Catholic, like very like devoutly always. Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Always, always. It's an integral part of her career. Is she like homophobic? Is that like a thing? No. no. She's always presented as a rational skeptic. She's a scientist. I mean, she's a doctor. Yeah. So she's always been like, where's the evidence? Where's like, you know, the tangible evidence? And Mulder's been the more like theoretical one that's like. Mulder's like the crackpot. He's like the one who's like, you know, we can't, we can't prove everything just because we can't see it. Like he's thinking outside the box. Yeah. He's almost more the conspiracy theorist. And he listeners, is. I apologize. Like if you're X-Files fans, I'm sure I'm coming across like an idiot right now. But that being no, said. But there's also lots of people who are probably in your shoes and have never seen the show or know it only by conversation or pop culture savvy. Well, hopefully they're still listening to this episode. <laughs> 50th 50th episode <laughs> thanks okay. for the three listeners who are sitting through who have made it to this point yeah, yes. right. well we're doing better than the one who listened to last week right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so Mulder drummy and whitney take father joe to the virginian crime scene where he correctly identifies that there were two perps and they drove a truck uh to 
steal this woman away and then he begins crying tears of blood so we're bringing all of those kinds of connotations of um like a like a religious hysteric into this idea that he is getting visions and he is touched in that way so back in the hospital scully has grown attached to christian the young boy who is suffering from santoff disease which is an incurable disease (gasps) uh, and she's gonna tearfully insist that she's got to treat this kid because everything in her life depends on being able to like heal this child this entire subplot I get why it's included again, considering what happens at the end, but it is so boring. You just don't care about children, the lives of children. <laughs> well, that's not untrue. Um, wait, wait, wait. None <laughs> of us not. do. None of us care about the um, lives of no, children. No, I care about the lives of children dearly. And actually, I, I don't want to have them. I don't want them running <laughs> around our space. <laughs> we have enough dogs for that. I was going to say, those fur babies are children of their own. <laughs> no, they are. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't dislike children. I just don't. Yeah, I don't want any. Well, also this. So this thing too, like, I guess like this subplot did not necessarily bother me. It felt like something that was lifted from a few episodes of the show and just put well, in to make it feel like the show. Maybe, but as a standalone, like again someone coming in out of this out of nowhere it feels so superfluous until the reveal at the end which even then i feel like they could have abbreviated it yeah i'm a i'm kind of coming down on both sides because you can absolutely see why it's in there and Mm -hmm. how it's contributing to scully's dilemma but at the same time considering where this film is taking shortcuts there's so often where i'm just like I don't even know anything about this kid. Like, I don't know if I really care about Scully's struggles with her boss. And all right. So after being scouted at the pool, Cheryl Cunningham, Nikki Acox, who is not only the lead in Jeepers Creepers 2, but also the lead in the directed video sequel Joyride 2. So her career has also not been excessive. No, but I actually think she's pretty good in this movie and in Jeepers Creepers 2. Yeah, I mean... She does what she can. She's basically just a woman who gets locked in a cage. From well, no, the she, she's the who's the woman in Silence of the Lambs? Uh, it's um, who's on Grey's Anatomy? Who was fired? Like yeah. she's like a Brooke Smith. Yeah, she's like the Brooke Smith of this movie, just sitting in a crate. I mean, I believe she didn't want to be in that crate, so I thought she did a good job. Well, <laughs> it, it's honestly the weird thing to me though is when the guy runs her off the road, and I'm sorry, Cal and Keith Keith Rennie, famed Canadian Cal and Keith Rennie. Uh, runs her off the road and then like she crashes and he comes up to her and she's like oh thank god call help and it's like bitch this guy just ran you off yeah. the fucking road i don't know that she knew that 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 it was the guy no though. i think she thought he was just a guy like some other guy yeah over. but no it's actually yanka actually though but doesn't she say something like i didn't see you or didn't mean to like apologize for like well no because before Pat she trying to pass the, him no before she gets run of the road she's like what the fuck like I mean, she doesn't say that because it's PG-13, but she's very much like, what are you doing? Because he, like, knocks her once, and then he knocks her again. No, but she just sees a snowplow. I don't think she knows who was driving it. That was a snowplow? That was a truck with a thing in front of it. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it can be one and the other. (laughs) A truck with a thing in front of it. (laughs) Can we talk about how Trace is talking about things he's probably never seen in real life, having lived in Texas? (laughs) I don't think I've seen one, actually. (laughs) We don't like oh. there a Liam Neeson movie where like his daughter gets abducted in one or something. I've seen a snowplow, but I I grew up in like North Texas, so there's snow there. Oh. It was a very ineffective snowplow. I'm just saying. Well, I mean, it knocked her ass off the road, so it did. Something. Well, yeah, but it wasn't plowing snow. It was just not sideballing her. 
Well, that, there is a curious, like, I'm not exactly sure why he has a truck with a plow on it, considering that he transports organs. He doesn't clear streets. It, it was a very unusual, like, why does he need a plow on this truck? Is that just like they rented it and that was the vehicle that they were like, yeah, this gives it personality. I don't know. Not important. I guess I never thought about that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because of the how they were burying the bodies, the, oh. the body parts. Yeah. Speaking of, Joe, continue your plot summary. Okay. So Scully reveals that there were traces of animal tranquilizer in the arm that they discovered at the beginning of the film. Which they mention at least five times, by the way. Yeah. Animal tranquilizer. Pay attention. It's going to be important. Not really. Yeah. So then they get a call from Whitney uh, calling them to the scene of another crime. Or rather, uh, Father Joe has identified another place for them to dig. So Scully accuses Mulder of trying to save his sister, and she goes in real hard on him. Real hard? After getting him out of, like, hiding to do this shit. Okay, to be fair, she's been dealing with this shit with his sister for over ten years at this yeah. point. Or that was long. kind of my thing, though, too, is, like, so... She knew where he's been since the end of the show, because, like, this, this movie takes place, obviously, like, what, five years after the show? You know? Yeah, I actually don't know how much time it's meant to have passed. But she knows where he's been... And they're also supposedly fucking on and off, maybe? No, yeah, they're they're like a full-fledged couple. But but she doesn't live with him. Actually, no, the way that they interact, it feels like they haven't seen each other in a little while. That's what I'm saying. Like, when she goes to get him, it's very much not like, hey, we've been seeing each other for a while. We just fuck every six months. Mm. You're really, like, diminishing the beauty of their relationship, and I will not stand for it. Like, you, they don't... <laughs> This is the romance of a time, of a generation. Chris Carter wants this to be a standalone movie. He has to deal with standalone viewers coming in to analyze this movie. Oh, oh Jesus God. Christ. You're such An- a dick. <laughs> Get analyze, analyze their relationship. Yes, we know. You want to analyze their relationship. Is it an analysis of all you're just doing is saying that they're just fucking all the time? Is that is that the extent of your analysis? I mean... Ari, this is what we do every week. Oh, I know. <laughs> My, minus her, like, your stubbornness is why I love you comment. There's nothing here to believe. Like, oh, no, my God. Trace, no. you're okay, an idiot. Stop talking. Stop. Just no. stop. <laughs> shut your mouth, please. The whole thing about this film is that she has been so concerned about his withdrawal from basically everything that she encourages him to get involved in this and then immediately regrets it. Like there is nothing that has resonated so strongly in an adult relationship than this idea that you're like, I'm desperately concerned about you. And also, oh fuck, I just did something that I'm totally going to regret later on. <laughs> Cause he just goes off on this, right? Like he gets mm-hmm. completely obsessed he and then the she spends thing. the rest of the movie being like, I shouldn't have done this because now I can't pull you back from the edge. And I don't think I can be with with you anymore like that's the only part of this movie that works yeah i love that and also because it is it is very much an extension of like their arcs in the show because the thing mm-hmm. with his with his sister too like their that storyline did technically get some resolution in like season seven like definitive resolution per se so yeah it's not like but it's the idea of him being so obsessed over and over again of like wishing things had been different yeah which is why he's like no i know my sister's dead and she's like she's not actually talking about his sister per se she's really talking about like chasing the ghost of the x-files which is really all about his struggle to let go of his sister well it's born of the fact that his this experience with his sister being abducted and when he was a kid so yeah Yeah, exactly 
Yeah, Trace. It's metaphor. Metaphor. Sorry, Jesus Christ. No, let's move on. So Father Joe leads Mulder and the others to a burial site, and they find a frozen body under the ice. And this is the second instance where we get another crosscut. And this one I actually think is almost more effective than the first one, because you're not sure if they're happening in the same spot at the same time. But actually, Yanka, the Callum Keith Rennie character, he is approaching that same site, but he's at the top of the hill. So he The shot! The shot's really cool! Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the overhead shot of like him looking at all of them, like uh, discovering the body, the the, the what, what's essentially a tomb, or not a tomb, but like a a bone graveyard. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it makes good use of this idea that like this is a winter horror film, which is something that we rarely see. So yeah. there's just constantly people having to navigate the elements and being like, ah, shit, you know, this isn't just like a pit of bones like what we see in what is it house of wax it's so clever i mean like how, how how many times have we seen people say i wish a friday the 13th film was set in the snow exactly well had this been rated r this would have been <laughs> so what you're saying is you want more jason in this let it go i, just, I, I, <laughs> I think you just wanted this to be a different movie you're gonna have to let no go. I, hey i gave this a three out of five on letterbox i actually do think this movie's fine i like this movie Okay, let's move on. Uh, (laughs) I'm like, no, I, yeah, okay. So, back at work, Scully continues to butt heads with her superior. I'm not even going to read that part. (laughs) Yeah, that's enough. That's enough about that. Yeah. Uh, Let's get to the good stuff. So, Mulder calls her to let them, to let her know that they've recovered 11 different body parts from the ice. And Father Joe zeroes in and they acknowledge that, oh, there's a second victim and they trace her back to the pool. <laughs> I I love random extras in Same. movies and the guy who's operating the desk at the pool and just He's how amazing. completely unhelpful he is. <laughs> Definitely. And like his, the accent too is a choice. Like he was just doing his own thing. He was really excited to have this part. He was like, I am going to get into the actor's guild with this motherfucker. It was role. so bizarre, though. Like, I don't... <laughs> no, I loved it. That's actually... But again, that's very X-Files, too. They had that happen a lot. They had, like, these random-ass yeah. things that would happen. Again, probably more so on, like, the episodes that leaned into the humor more. But n- things mm-hmm. like that, I could see them feeling just really random and out of place to people who aren't watching it, who haven't watched the show. It's true. The part where they're like, oh, do you keep a log? And he's like, of course. And then they're like, can we see it? It's oh, like, oh, I threw I it away. did it yesterday. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> though, no. When they asked him for a log, I was like, y'all, he's like a bumfuck natatorium owner in West Virginia. No, he doesn't keep a log. But he did. But then he threw it away. He's like, oh, yeah, I threw that one away. The one from yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's funny, too, because it's like a derivation of all of those terrible other movies where they go in, they're like, do you have a security camera? And they're like, yeah, I got it. Oh, shoot. It's the same tape I just taped over yesterday. <laughs> With my stories. Yeah. <laughs> With my soaps. So Scully decides, a, oh God, Scully decides a Christian should undergo stem cell treatment. <laughs> Uh, okay, Mulder realizes both women had medical ID tags, and Scully connects it to organ transplants. Hey, we're making progress. Yep. And Mulder calls her. He he basically wants her to come back and work the case with him, but she refuses because she doesn't want to be part of this darkness anymore. So. Which, again, she was the one who invited him into this shit. And she regrets it. Because she wanted him to do something with his life, not be a bum and, you know, grow his beard out or whatever. Oh, you mean with that fake ass, like, high school theater beard? Dude. 
Be careful to it. throw like stones in glass houses. Okay. <laughs> Not you, Ari. <laughs> no, I know who you're talking about. My beard? I know no. what you're saying. <laughs> hey, no. Has that mustache connected to the rest of it yet? No. My beard that I'm trying to grow right now is an actual beard growing out of my fucking face. The beard that is on him in this movie is not real. David Duchovny literally can grow a beard, though. Right, but he did not grow that beard, and it's fake. What makes you think that? I literally looked it up. I literally looked it up. I literally looked it up, and it is not real. Even Duchovny complained about the fake beard because it made him itch too bad. It doesn't even look that bad. I'm looking at it right now. It looks not great. (laughs) <laughs> okay so Fuck scully you. has my, no so... my, no 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 my beard is fine i'm trying okay oh my god it doesn't connect on the right no the left i'm sorry but it's fine you're trying as hard as this movie is trying. until your beard is perfect you shut up about Mulder's beard this is the beard america wants this is the beard i want Grow anyway <laughs> okay so uh so basically this is like a breaking point she doesn't know how she and Mulder can be together anymore because of this darkness and <laughs> this is also the point where she gets dealt a double blow because christian's parents are like ah we don't want you to do this treatment anymore <laughs> okay so scully visits father joe and this is when they have their big blow up and uh it's all over the fact that he quoted at her the previous day not to give up or he he specifically says, don't give up. And she's like, what the fuck did you mean? It is so silly. It's so silly. It's like, bitch. Oh my God, I love that. That could have meant anything. No, it, it's good. I, I like it. But this is the scene where he dresses her down, though. He's like, I get it. I'm a pedophile. But you're really judgy, bitch. She is very judgy. Do we think that part of this is because she's projecting everything that she can't get angry at Mulder about onto him? I think it's. I think she's just mad at him because of the fact that she kind of needs him at this point. Like, because she needs him to explain. This is like, like her whole thing is just like her cognitive dissonance over like, oh, this is what I believe, and this is like what's actually happening, and it's kind of going. This has been her whole thing, like the whole show. Yeah. It's like there's this other potential evidence that suggests that what I believe may not fully be correct or true. And that's like the black and white, and she gets grayed, you know, and she's uncomfortable with that. That's like typical Scully. So what do y'all think about the movie's stance on pedi- Sorry, not pedophilia, but like a pedophile? The movie does ask you to sympathize with him to an extent, and it's a dangerous territory to walk. I don't want to say that you should sympathize with the pedophile, but I do think that, and without any knowledge of the human brain, or I do think that there's things to be learned from them. And this conversation of, you know, because he even says, you know, I didn't make me like this. And she's like, well, God certainly didn't. But that also bleeds into the queer lifestyle of like, you know, we as queer people say, well, we're not born, we're not, we don't choose to be like this, we are born like this. But then, you know, super Christians are like, no, you do choose to be like that. God wouldn't make you like that. And like coming from as a queer viewer, it's difficult to watch because A, not only am I like, oh, am I on the equivalent pages of of, of a pedophile? B, are people equivocating me to a pedophile? C, is it that different? To be like, I'm born with these urges and I have to do them, you know? So that's a greater, like a legitimate greater debate. Yeah. If you think of things like Nambla and like the, you know, men Mm -hmm. who who love boys. And it's like, you know, that's that people who identify under the queer umbrella. it's, It's like, let's not equate us to that because it's not the same. 
But I will say, I mean, to, to like respond to your questions is that, yeah, there are lots of people who would look at it as oh, the same and they fucking hate us for it. And, you know, we're immoral and wrong and we're born wrong and or we're choosing to be wrong, whatever the case is. Um, so, yeah, that's a really tough. Again, that's a really complex argument that this i don't know that this movie was prepared to facilitate it's not it, it, I, I feel like it thinks it's handled in this scene but to be fair it's handling it in in like i'm sure they did he didn't think twice about it i also think about like you know when this was probably written it's like not you know i'm, I'm trying to think of like how this conversation might look today oh i don't even think that yeah. should that, that wouldn't have been in it that wouldn't have been in a movie i don't think to kind of make this character sympathetic and well, that's not the, the fact that this movie included this part and got a wide release in the summer of 2008 is still kind of mind-boggling to me i think ari you're right that at the end of the day the reason that this is in here is because chris carter wanted to use something that could contrast scully's uh storyline right like mm-hmm. he wanted to have something that he could really explode and kind of crack open the dilemma that she's having and what could be better than a conflicted you know member of the church right because mm-hmm. it really underlines all of her religious ideology that's kind of unraveling in the case of this child i also don't think that chris carter thought carefully about the way that he was going about this character or this character's connection to homosexual villains that really harken back to the way that we've seen villains portrayed Mm -hmm. since like what the 70s and 80s would we call him homosexual him i mean well he is because he's attracted to boys they specifically say that it was boys that he was going after but in the in the scope of the film he's almost desexualized like they make a well, specific a eunuch, mention yeah. that he self-castrized or self-castrated yeah. himself so no anyway just just to throw a little education at you so the term homosexuality too is used it was used for a very long time as like a mental health diagnosis like a mm-hmm. mental illness diagnosis and that's why it's not really in vogue anymore um and took a while for that to go away um so i mean if you're talking no one knows how this priest sexually identifies because he's castrated himself and that's not really the focus like it doesn't matter as far as i'm concerned like but don't you think that people will watch this movie and associate that with homosexuality i think a hundred percent yeah because of the way that the film handles it yeah i mean but again i don't i mean i think your question it's kind of like what's the point of what does it matter if people are going to think it's perception about it. it doesn't matter what he's what we call him it's like people are going to be associating it with this awful thing anyway right if anything the film leans on it uses the stereotype as a bit of a shorthand to to cheat to say here's a bit of background that will help you to understand why this character is interacting with scully in this way so it's like all i had to do is say pedophile priest and you know i can play to all of your worst fears and nightmares about mm-hmm. how boys have been sexually molested in the church well i think that's kind of my thing though is i actually appreciate the questions this movie is raising it's just that it lacks the capacity to actually address them in a meaningful way which right. is why this film in a way is so dangerous and i don't say that lightly i know that i often sound hysterical no, on the show it, it's <laughs> it, 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 it asks a lot of the viewer and if the viewer is, uh, I'm trying to find the right way to say this. 
not thoughtful or not open to like you know having a nuanced conversation right then it, it like we see with any example of pedophilia in the real world and again talking about pedophilia in any shape way or form is gonna bring out very strong opinions in people rightfully mm-hmm. so and i fully agree with that but i think unfortunately a lot of people will still just automatically be like oh pedophilia equals gay that's what i'm that's what i thought you were talking about trace not about like the debate around you know re, it's both it's re, both to be honest it's yeah but both. those are two those are two really different i think those are really different debates but there's still debates to be had sure no i agree i agree with that i i my I, again like i don't know that i would call it i don't know that a film like this could be so dangerous just because of the like every the context around it it's different whenever if it's like a politically oriented film or something that right. was like kind of like that was what it was that was like the main purpose of the movie is to kind of make a make a statement about something. And the thing is that I just think it's kind of like fumbled around so much that it never really makes a statement. It just at most, it's just like kind of like ignorantly problematic without realizing it. And I again, I don't necessarily think that they realized it. I think that Chris Carter, no. you yeah. know, and Spotnets were just like, you know, let's just sure like let's give them this conflict because it makes sense for our catholic protagonists and let's you know and this is a thing that people know about priests and you know sexual assault of children and you know so we like to cut slack though because of time periods but it's like this is 2008 and it's just 11 years ago it's still a different time what was different but i'm curious like that's i've kind of thought about that what what do you think was different with respect to like the conversation about pedophilia (laughs) Well, not, not pedophilia, maybe, per se, but you mean just homosexuality or queerness in general. Also, the movie points it out when they fucking pan to George W. Bush and they play the X-Files theme when they right. pan to the picture. Well, and don't forget that they've got him, but then they've also got J. Edgar Hoover, mm-hmm. who is a noted cross-dresser and who many people think was a closeted homosexual. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so at this point, the, the debate is settled, more or less, because she goes to leave and then he has a seizure. So, And of course, our cue that he is connected to these criminals in some way, which is something that Fox Mulder has hinted at earlier is that we also see a body seizing where the kidnapped women are being held. So they're, like, physically connected. Which is never really answered. No, it's only hinted at. Yeah. It's answered as much as that X-Files answers lots of things like that. It's really frustrating. Well, it it leaves you to make up your own mind by saying, like, yeah. hey, if you can visually connect these two things, then you should be able to figure it out. Well, you know what? Y'all can go watch Prometheus and deal with those, those questions. <laughs> it's not, not that dissimilar in that way. Yeah, It's not. It's not. No, it, like... Chris Carter and Damon Lindelof need to go, like, have a date. I think, no, I think that, like, you just don't like things not being explicitly said to you. Like, you don't like having to think extra about things. I don't mind that. I'm just saying that it it's frustrating when the movie is, like, asking these questions. And I, I get leading up to the viewer to be like, hey, what do you think about this? But it's almost pretentious in a way. I think it's also because we have a personal stake in this. Like, I doubt, like, okay, so one of the things, when I was looking up research for this film, I was intrigued to see if people commented on, they comment on the pedophilia angle, because it's a very explicitly stated thing, and it's a it's a topic of conversation. Yeah. The homosexuality of the villains and the connection to the pedophilic priest 
is not something that comes up, nor is the Mm. fact that there's like a normalization of heterosexual romance at the end of this film that basically necessitates every queer character dying, as well as Amanda Peet, who is a threatening adulterous persona. So basically, we have to kill everybody who threatens Mulder and Scully's normal relationship in this movie so we can get a happy ending and nobody says anything about that in any of the reviews yes let let's continue this plot summary because i really want to talk about the trans issues yeah okay so so at this point this is where we figure out who who these men are so they are russian emigres uh the main guy who has done the abductions is callum keith rennie his character's name is yanka and he's married to franz who is played by fagin woodcock real name unfortunate and at this point it's revealed that he's one of father joe's 37 molestation victims so they trace yanka back to the office building and they find monica bannon's decapitated head in the organ transplant bag and whitney and Mulder chase yanka around an abandoned construction site and whitney is then pushed to her death now i will say as much as i hate amanda p dying in this movie i think this sequence is very well done Oh, it's good. I really it's, like it. There's the there's a shot where she's looking up at him through the elevator levels, and mm-hmm. she's like, "I can't find him." And then she looks back, and he's right there. It's very yeah. like slashery. I really like that. It really is. And I was really shocked though, because I remember her falling down. I remember seeing her face as she falls down. She falls for a long time. <laughs> a long time, and then they show her get impaled by yes. like the rebar on the bottom. Which I did not remember. Nope. And I was like, "This is quite brutal for this type of movie." So I was happy about it but also upset because i was like wait so we're left with exhibit (laughs) this is how you know we're gay we're like no get rid of exhibit keep amanda peter listeners amanda p is really really talented if you've never seen the hbo show togetherness you should watch it it's amazing uh so this is when we find out that father joe has terminal cancer so that's uh part of what the seizure is a response to and she decides that she's going to trick this sick man by asking him whether or not monica brandon is still alive he says yes obviously she is not yeah her head's in a bag yeah and scully's like well case closed done and dusted i'm gonna walk away from this whole thing Mulder's like "Mm, not not so quickly so this is also where we get uh our first glimpse of the trans issues in this film because we see that Fran's severed arm which is the one that was found earlier in the film that they keep talking about all the animal tranquilizers being in we see that it has been replaced by a female arm because he has lovely painted I mean it's Brandon's arm right it's it's Monica Brandon's arm Yes. No, it's the fir- whoever the first woman was, right? Yeah, Brennan. Monica Brennan. Yeah, Monica Brennan is the FBI agent whose head is found and then the From other the woman scene. is Cheryl. Yeah. So Cheryl is our like final girl who narrowly avoids getting decapitated at the mm-hmm. end. So we have this ex-altar boy who was raped by his priest, who is now gay, mm-hmm. who is having his head or body he- it's, uh, he's having his head transplanted onto another body because he is also terminally ill. Right, but it's always a woman's body. No, yep, I, that's all, the thing though. That's the thing is that like I, with they earlier whenever they discover all the body parts, they say that it's men and women's, and this is apparently something that's been happening for a long time that they've just been like putting body parts. True, but the only body we actually see him on is a woman's body. Well, my, my, my only question is this, because I, I raised this point, too, whenever Ari and I discussed it last night, because I was like, you know, yeah, it, it's a woman's body now, but yeah, it has been 
various sexes before. However, the first scene we see this man attack this woman. So it hasn't been going on for that long. But she's the latest and she's presumably like victim number nine or ten or eleven. Right, but in the first scene, he's on his own body. He's not on another body. I don't know that that that's his own body. I don't know that we're meant to believe that. So we're to believe, though, that he is attacking this woman with his head on someone else's body. Well, yeah, because yeah. we do see the two-headed dog. Yeah, that's the point of that's the whole point of this. Okay, is that people can can live like this, but it's for like a limited amount of time. I haven't even looked to see if there's like scars you can see. I don't know if there is. It's that's not meant to be his like fresh body. It's part of the problem with this film, right? Is that there's this lack of clarity, like this. Yeah. So my so my kind of perspective on this, Joe, and that we had talked about this a while back about this movie particularly is that like the so i think the reason why they do show a woman's arm is so you know that oh that's not his body because if you showed another arm like a man's arm or an arm without a painted nail or something like that that you might just think you're just looking at this man unless they showed like a stitch mark on his arm right or something like that i'm just saying like that's that's the decision they made right and so these decisions that they made just the same way that there's kind of this like bumbling decision to kind of fall into this old stereotypical view yeah. of oh people who are boys who are molested yeah okay well then they look, grow up to be gay he's gonna be murders. gay later and he's you know fucked up in the head and so i think that the the problem in it lies in not like not giving it due diligence like just well also because by. and because nothing is really that well explained about this like nothing nothing's really explained about how long this has been happening um like what the process is like it's all very like kind of look this thing is happening and it's to keep this this killer alive mm-hmm. um and they're doing it for love and whatever the case is is that it leaves the audience to kind of fill in the blanks and the audience will fill in the blank in the easiest way possible. And it's like, oh yeah, of course. Like if someone is not into queer issues and they don't know about how problematic that can be, they're going to be like, yeah, of course, because all the all boys who are molested end up most likely being gay. Well, that, that, that's the biggest problem though with, with this movie potentially is that like, yeah, that's the thing. They're not only going to grow up to be gay, but they're going to grow up to be psychotic murderers. Yeah, that they're yeah that they're disturbed. So yeah, that's I think like that's where the problem comes in is that the idea of like because there's such a lack of explanation, leaving it up to leaving it up for people to explain it is that you're gonna you're gonna pick this really kind of fucked up belief system or you know set of beliefs and apply it to these characters because that's kind of how society has viewed things. It's like look like the idea of like a man's head on a woman's body that is so grotesque or it's so bizarre or whatever oh look the idea you know kind of like it's it's throwing it out there for people to make sense of and people are more likely to make sense of it in a very problematic way that's what i would argue is that the r rating would be become more handy is that you could address this in a more explicit way because honestly you can't get away with this premise without addressing some explicit issues i don't entirely agree with that because at the so one of the things that comes up in a lot of the reviews is they and i myself did is they call these people russian mad scientists or they say you know oh they're creating like a frankenstein's body so it's not as though they couldn't have done this in a way that made it very clear that he's just stitched together with a different thing with different bodies like whether or not it was intentional or it was a visual shorthand to be like, look, it's a male head on a female body. The decision was made. Like they could have gone with a person of a different ethnicity to help clarify that. They could have had stitches. Like at the end of the day, there's a lack of insight and a lack of 
awareness that this could have been problematic, which I, I do think that it wasn't, I don't think that it was done purposely no it's like anything else you know that long that in that time frame these issues were not as at the forefront and the idea of something being problematic was not even in you know yeah the the discourse you know public discourse around these issues i just worry that there's one other thing too which is this idea that people could say oh well of course they're gonna put his head on the lady's body because that way then we can have a man and a woman together. Like, I think that's the final step of ignorance that people could potentially take away from this, which is that, oh, queer couples just want to be male and female. I think that that's, yeah, I think that that's maybe a little bit of a leap. I don't think they're going to go into it thinking that they're going to have to think that much about the reason. Well, I don't think they're walking into this movie thinking that this is what they're going to get. Right, right. (laughs) Like, I don't think anyone's watching this movie saying, oh, we're going to get, like, this formerly raped altar boy murdering people and, like, trying to transplant his head on a woman's body. It's frustrating, I guess. Like, I understand the the, the, the conversations that Carter and, ooh, Spotnitz? Spotnitz? Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to have with this movie. But it's so undeveloped, and even with the revelations of what happens, because even like again Skinner, who is Mitch Pelegi, daddy, <laughs> mm. it's anticlimactic, and you get this whole thing where it's like, oh well, we got to save Mulder. Really cool shots of the girl almost being decapitated, um, but then not because she's like in a bath of ice and blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It, there's a lot of good ingredients here that don't really pan out the way that I think they were intended to. But I think it's the, 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 the like a fight between the action and the thematic whatever that Chris Carter was trying to go for in this movie. Yeah, I, I mean, this is the part of the film where I think it really starts to go off the rails because we're now into like the meat, the action of it. You know, Mulder's in danger. He's almost getting hit with an axe. We've got to save this woman who's in this ice bath. There's like a two-headed dog Which running around. Which should be really people. exciting. It should. And it's not bad but it all feels very quick and almost yeah. too easy like Mulder gets out of a out of the snowbank after Yanka drives him over the cliff he follows it back he's right there at this compound where they're doing experiments it's like the grossest mad scientist laboratory you've ever been to with terrible uh, lighting yeah. so Joe <laughs> you have mentioned though this entire thing being like a, a trans phobic issue well, i have concerns that no no, no. yeah i think that's yeah. kind of what we were just talking about though. no it, yeah. it is and listeners um i actually like i would look at those out to you you know i mean like um do you find this transphobic do you find this um irresponsible in any way there's no right or wrong answer because we're about to i mean we've discussed it a little bit and we might discuss it more but it's tricky. Well, I think you have to, I mean, again, I think context too, like no one would even think about transphobia when you're looking at like a mainstream movie like this back then, like back then. Which is why I I almost commend it for doing what it's trying to do. Although again, what it's trying to do, I don't know if it's what I think it's trying to do. Well, it handles it with like all thumbs. Like it doesn't know how to handle it and it handles it in a way that ends up being pretty problematic. And and like kind of, again, the idea of, you know, come oh a man's head on a woman's body that's grotesque you know and it's the idea and again it's not it's not something that i think that was very well thought through because also those people are their privilege are probably so removed from the idea of actually they don't probably don't know any trans people also so not understanding like what that could look like to people do y'all think chris carter knows a trans person i don't think anyone who could write something like this knows a trans person that's what i mean but the thing is what i'm thinking is like with a lot of these films like you just think about like even dialogue in some tv shows 10 years ago 
people were making these kind of problematic jokes and there was like, yeah. like 30 rock i've been i rewatched 30 rock recently and i love 30 rock and there's a lot of transphobic jokes in there and yeah. a lot of just like they handle race really poorly and again like it's this whole idea that it's not really it's not really excusable but it is a different time period but it, it right? yeah yeah but it was it was a different time when these things were not as at the forefront and i'm glad that people do care about these things now and that that does keep things from you know getting patronized or you know by people who recognize hey that's a problem i don't want to watch that or i don't want to be a part of this mm-hmm. um so yeah i think it's kind of like it's kind of unfair because we could like go back a little bit and attack lots of things from the 90s and the 2000 there you know the aughts and oh, when and, we do oh, and we do. and yeah and you can and you and i think you should because i think it speaks to like you know how where society was in a lot of these time periods where such things were so normalized that people their excuses like it was a different time you know it's kind of like yeah but it's kind of it doesn't that isn't that fucked up that that's how things were you know isn't that shitty yeah. that's why it's important to like note those things though so you can show people like yeah this is what it was like back then look yeah. how good it is now and even then it's not how good it is great it's not that it's no, not great hey, how <laughs> good it is good. in quotes well i mean i i look at millennials now i'm sorry that's the wrong term because i, I i'm considered a millennial Yes, you're just say like just Gen say younger Z. people. Gen, yeah, Gen, uh, Gen Z or I Gen, Gen like Z. that's kind of yeah. Gen Z or I Gen. Like it's it's like they have it a lot better than we did. You know, like I, I see people coming out of the age of like twelve, and I'm like, oh, must be nice. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have it better. No, I mean, I can, no, I but they have they have the the confidence to do that at that young of an age you know well there's also i think that there's also more of um more of a discussion around something that was so taboo before that like people wouldn't even talk about it like growing up in you know bfe west texas like people wouldn't talk about that stuff because it was just like so othered that now when there is a conversation around it and there is space kind of being made for that sure that like maybe will help people come out earlier but i don't know that that makes that doesn't necessarily make it any easier yeah and i think part of what ends up happening with this film too is that we don't get any kind of closure to it either so yeah not only are these two men like we get a very brief scene where yanka holds franz's hand earlier in the film but that's like the only genuine moment of intimacy that we see between these two men that's the shitty thing is like yeah we, we we're told oh they're gay but we don't get to see a lot of love no like they're not characters no nothing is humanized between them at all if anything it's like they're they're monsters and then at the end of the day what ends up happening is we just you know like franz doesn't get his surgery because they rescue cheryl in time Mm -hmm. and he wakes up with a head in a box yeah and presumably he would die because he needs well yeah because when he dies that's when father joe dies yeah so basically that's how this movie ends is that as soon as scully saves Mulder and uh yeah, we just we cut and it's, you know, everything has been resolved. Like there's there's nothing further to be said about the events that happened there. We learned that Father Joe, he's never seen again. He has died at the same time as Franz. Exhibit is never seen again at this point. <laughs> he is presumably off working. But 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 more cases. importantly, <laughs> Exhibit is never seen again. Exhibit is never seen again. And Amanda <laughs> P is dead on a fucking rebar. Yeah, like there's there isn't even like a funeral scene for her. <laughs> no, it's basically oh, just no. the Mulder when, and no, Scully show. Di- no, when she dies, Scully's like, "I'm so sorry that happened to you." I mean, she didn't she didn't know her. Let's be real, she didn't know her that well. They all knew each other fine. 
They knew each other for like two days. The only time that Scully saw Amanda Peet's character is when Amanda Peet was like, hey, Mulder, did you cut yourself shaving? Let me touch your neck like I want to have sex with you. So she was probably, so Scully was probably like, yeah, that bitch is dead. She can fuck (laughs) off you, my man. No, you're totally right. It's so fucked up. And that, that whole scene, I was like, wait, why? Why 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 are they doing this? It makes no sense. But, yeah, it's Mulder jealousy. That's what it is. Joe, I do... No, I do want to say real quick that I do, mm-hmm. like... Again, when I watched it yesterday, I remember finding it pretty problematic just because of the whole, the you know, demonizing queer men <laughs> and mm-hmm. and making them the monsters and never care you know and, and also kind of t- being torn I, I was going through my own you know scully crisis of like cognitive dissonance of like well, okay well it's also a show that like i don't ever think that anyone's intention behind it is to be this way but it's like but now it is this way like that's yeah. how i would see it. and it, had i seen it then i probably you know in theaters i would have never thought twice about any of this and now we are having a conversation about it so i just think it's important to highlight like my you know my point earlier was not to like dismiss anything because i do think that these are things that are problematic and that merit a conversation which is why your podcast exists and why i think that it's great to be doing this well i think yeah if if you're casually watching to be honest i think this is the kind of film where you could just very easily gloss over it like i think a lot of people were like oh okay there's yeah there's the two men are gay but i think even nowadays there's probably a bunch of people who would say oh they're the villains just happen to be gay you know right, maybe not even true. understanding that there's a historical legacy of making queer villains but Mm -hmm. then also tying it problematically to that pedophilia and also then you know this movie ending with really a celebration of heterosexual love that has had to overcome like we need to get rid of these gays so that we can live together but also though that that this pedophile basically tells off scully and not that he wins because he dies but He's almost validated by... Well, I mean, he wins because he's, like, right. You know, like, yeah. he, everything he said was correct. It, exactly. And the movie doesn't address the connection between him and the victims. Correct as in, like, everything that he's, you know, like... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, his, his um, you know, seeing the... But, you know, but, 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 but <laughs> it's like, oh, he's saying, I'm seeing these things, and the and scully's like no you're not and then the movie's like oh no um it actually everything you're seeing is really happening but the reason that he's seeing it is because like if you want to go to a really dark place you say the reason that he's seeing these things is because of that one line that Mulder says early in the film like why are you having these visions it's because the psychic is usually connected to the person so you could take it you could take that as an insinuation that because he fucked this boy, Oof. that that is how they are connected. And that is why they die at the same time. And I would think I would I would read that, I guess, a little differently, because that's one thing that bothers me less, the connection thing, because it's more like being haunted by it. It's like what he's seeing is not stuff that's like pleasant. That's fair. He's yeah. seeing like people's body parts and shit and pe- pe- people die, which is like kind of like, yeah, you you know, you could be like, yeah, well, you should be living with that. I'll be interested to see how people relate to the various arguments that we've been having for the last hour and 40 minutes, right? Like, will it ring true to people? Or will they look at it and say, mm, 
you know, I don't connect to it that way. I didn't see it as problematically. But I do I do wonder if there's people who are going to say, you know what, I was raised religious and this speaks to my experience or I have heard these kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. Or are they going to say, mm, you know, uh, this is a common story that we see around the supernatural stuff with psychics and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Like, I think there's lots of different ways to take it. I think so too. And I think like to make an assumption that anyone is going to be like outraged by this altogether or everyone's going to be like, what are you, you're reading into it too much. I didn't connect with it that way. Cause you'll see like in lots of films that maybe some people might find problematic with respect to like queer men or tr- trans women or whatever, people of color. There are some people who identify as part of those communities who sometimes are like, this didn't bother me. You know, it didn't bother me the way that it bothers some other people who are writing about it. Where And that's just, that's just going to be like the variation in responses in general. I don't think that this type of, the way things are presented in this movie are so outlandishly offensive that they would merit like an immediate knee-jerk response from you know, an entire community per se in the, in the same way. But yeah, I agree with you that I think it's going to, it's, I'm curious to see how people who have seen this, what they have to say about it. Because again, like I've had, you know, a a connection to like religion, very strong connection to religion growing up and, and like have had people in my life who have, you know, dealt with sexual assault of this very nature and a very similar nature. So yeah, I mean, I think like, how we talk about this is always informed by our experiences to a degree and kind of how we deal with those experiences personally. Yeah. Cause we've seen the narrative particularly around the silence, of the lambs really change over what, like the 25 years that it's been out. And it's, I feel like people now look at it and the, the rose colored glasses have really come off in terms of its depiction of a trans villain And I'm not suggesting that this is necessarily on par, but I do think it's kind of on the same line. And I'm curious to see whether or not people see that connection or if they, or even if they feel like it's, I don't know. We've probably exhausted our argument. No, it's, it's, (laughs) and the fact you mentioned early in the episodes, you know, no one, like no, no critic mentioned this in their reviews, which is shocking because I feel like if this movie came out today, they would. Yeah, no, I don't think, I, like, and unfortunately, I don't think it's shocking that this wasn't mentioned when this movie came out. But I it should have been. It should have It been. should have been, but yeah, because people, but people in the main, you know, mainstream critics weren't thinking about issues outside of what they're, you know, what's familiar to them. No, of course, they're not going to think about, like, you know, the homophobic implications or the transphobic implications of this. Because a lot of people writing these reviews are not trans or, and not queer. Which is why it's important to have queer people writing reviews. That is the takeaway from the X-Files I want to believe. <laughs> Case study, exhibit A. Let's get some more queer people doing some reviews of films. I mean... It, it... I, I enjoyed this film just watching it, just to experience it as a standalone. I do think that, um, like, watching it again last night, I, I was more struck by, like, how it's, like, competently made. Like, I remember thinking, like, oh, this is messy. Like, it's well-filmed, it's well-edited. Like, I really love... There's a couple scenes that I thought were great, so I actually gave it an extra half-star on Letterbox from where I had before, because I did appreciate those things more. And, yeah, I mean, as a big fan of the show, it, it did give me, like, a little more juice to... Think you know to kind of think about this in a different way. All right. Well, let's do a quick game and then we'll shut this down. 
so our game is a little bit more lighthearted because I feel like we've had some really heavy conversation here. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> so uh, just thinking about the X-Files as a brand and this film as an extension of a television show, I would like to hear from the two of you, what is a television show that you would like to see adapted to the big screen as a horror movie? And you can't say Fantasy Island because we already know oh. that's coming. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, why the fuck would you even ask? Oh, that's not bad. Mm, yeah, that's what I was going to say, but okay, I guess I'll think of something else. Um, I would say, okay, I guess this isn't, isn't really horror, and I guess we already kind of got this. Um, uh-huh, that's fine. But I love Mindhunter, and I think it's so fucking creepy, but again, it's like, I love it because it reminds me of Zodiac. Babe, I literally thought you were talking about the Rennie Harlan movie Mindhunters. Ew, be quiet. He had too much whiskey, you can already tell. Just a little bit. Trace, you're going to be like, oh, wow, there's a lot of slur in these last, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. It's, Wait, is it that obvious? It's yes, pretty obvious, but... you're sloppy. Fuck. I'm sorry. Get your life together. <laughs> Let's see. My option, what would I go with? To be honest, I think it would be interesting, just thinking about your comment earlier, Trace, about Lindelof... I think it would be interesting to revisit Lost with a bit more of the horror elements on the big screen. I don't think it'll ever happen because I think, well, A, Lindelof has had such a terrible experience with it, he probably never wants to revisit it, but that would be a hard cast to get back together. Trace, can we count on you to do the housekeeping? Yes. Um, before we announce we're covering next week, Ari, do you want to plug away? Sure, I will be plugging um, my two social media pages, three that are um, mildly inactive. So if you want to find me, <laughs> you can find me at the T-H-E-R-E Drew, A-R-I Drew. Um, that's my username at Twitter, Instagram, and then I have a Facebook page. Um, and then I'm sure some of you maybe already know me under my my real your authentic guys. name <laughs> <laughs> not your nom de plume yeah i usually whenever i do any kind of coverage that's where i post stuff and if i do anything creative that's where it goes as well so definitely um connect with me i, I like to connect with new folks and you should connect with him because he's super hot and super amazing hmm. oh thank you that is very sweet so sweet well thank the whiskey for that that's great i like um, no th- fuck you no <laughs> and we're back that's love y'all that's love <laughs> no that's not the whiskey's fault i'm sorry oh i did so i did want to plug something I, I forget that like so i've been on a few podcasts recently so oh good i yeah, did want to plug them because I, i've had a lot of fun doing this and this is kind of like i think what i'm what i enjoy doing now but one was a consequence of sounds um relevant content podcast which i had a lot we talked about Ta- taylor swift and it was really fun um cool. So there's a connection there. So I did that and that was a lot of fun. And you can find that link on my Twitter. Um, and then um, I was a guest on my best friend's podcast. Um, I think it was maybe last, it was last Thanksgiving. So it's the year anniversary, um, Heavy Friending, which is a really funny um, comedy podcast. So check out both of those. Those are those are good lessons. Actually, I, if y'all have never listened to Heavy Friending, it's really fucking good. It's um, basically two friends, sorry, two non-friends who become friends on a podcast and it's super hilarious yeah it's really funny interesting all right well trace when you're editing this maybe you can link in the show notes i will no i totally will cool um but if you want to reach me on twitter you can reach me at trace thurman and i am at b stole my remote that's the letter b and if you're tweeting about the podcast please be sure to use the hashtag horror queers and email us at horror 
I'm so drunk. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you almost got it. You're almost there. What the fuck? <laughs> Email us at horrorqueers at gmail.com. Is that what it is? That I don't is even correct. know what it is. I'm just making things up. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm also going to say right now that I do want to come back for an episode that's going to be fun because this was really heavy shit. And I feel like everyone, everyone's going to think I'm like this like downer person. Here's the thing, Ari. I apologize. This was quite a bit heavier than I think even I anticipated. Uh, I do sincerely want to thank you, not only for coming on our 50th episode, but also because I think you brought a really great levity and a really great informed analytical approach oh, thank to this. you what are we doing next week joe next week as we enter into the final weeks of the year we are going to tackle some really heavy content trace we are tackling blade trinity folks so it's going to be a thirst episode where i just oogle ryan reynolds body mm. you picked this episode why did you pick this movie it's an anniversary isn't it no, uh, oh, actually, maybe, maybe, maybe. You know what? Tune in to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna check out Ryan Reynolds and his hot, hot body on the film's fifteenth anniversary. Have you watched the movie? Uh, recently i have not i don't think i've watched this since it came out on video i remember it being a hot fucking mess but i remember that parker posey is in it the guy from prison break is the villain callum keith rennie whom i enjoy and hopefully will enjoy more in this film than in i want to believe yeah. but yeah mostly i'm just looking forward to Jessica Beale with her apple ipod earbuds kicking ass <laughs> <laughs> you know i love jessica biel this is not her best movie no it's really bad she's given the worst dialogue you can ever imagine it's terrible it's so bad stay tuned next week for this uh episode okay well i think that wraps it up that's your cue trace yep i think it will wrap it up as well <laughs> okay so i guess we're done with our discussion for the x-files i want to believe and we will cross out horror queers and cross out x-files i want to believe <laughs> oh my god Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. Horror-centric interviews. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.